Hello there, and welcome back to Beats by Social Work. I'm Kristen. And I'm Tiffany, your host for the show. We're so glad you came back. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, check out episode one to learn more about who we are. But a brief summary, we are both certified clinical transplant social workers who specialize in all things heart transplant and LVAD, also known as left ventricular assist device. Our goal is to talk all the things transplant and LVAD, from the social work perspective and to bring the human element back into the world of transplant for our fellow social workers and our patients, as well as professionals who may stumble in. As a reminder, we are social workers, but we are not your social worker. So we hope topics discussed here will lead you to further discussions within your own transplant team. Welcome back, Beats by Social Work listeners. I'm Kristen. And I'm Tiffany, your host for the show. So today we get to talk about something that is uh, very important to the human experience for both our healthy listeners and our chronically ill listeners, both social workers and patients alike. We uh, are going to talk about sex and intimacy. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things. And speaking of that, sex is both healthy and risky because sex connects us by Matthias Roberts, because, you know, we still have to have a quote. Exactly. And so with that being said, uh, we do want to have a friendly disclaimer that we are medical social workers, which means that we combine the medical aspect of transplant and LVAD, but through the lens of social work, mental health, and all the psychosocial components within that, including coping. What that means is that this is going to be um, a more heated conversation than is typical for us and probably is not appropriate if you happen to have little ears, young listeners, or um, an, an audience or in around an audience that might not be appropriate to listen to this episode. So we want to give that disclaimer before we start. If you find yourself in that situation, please feel free to tune back in. But we'll go ahead and get started. Yeah. So intimacy is an important aspect for the overall human experience. And it is no different whether you're suffering from a chronic illness or not. Um, mm-hmm. The difference is it can impact on how we view the act of sex, how we view ourselves, and how we are able to actually perform in that. And so that's why we felt it was necessary to address this topic. The emotional, physical, sexual connections, and it plays a vital role in fostering emotions, closeness, building, maintaining relationships, and just promoting well-being. And and I should say in here too, um, when we think of sex, again, it encompasses an, an, a whole array of things. And mm-hmm. so it's important to know we're not just talking about penetration. It can talk about uh, sexual acts and, you know, no, again, normalizing that within the illness community. Exactly. And so I think that's a very good segue into the first part of this conversation because there are different components to sex. And let's start with what is the difference between pleasure-based sex and performance-based sex? There's a Mm. great article on psychology today that goes over this and specifically with the chronic illness community. And it's by uh, Lee Phillips, who is also an LCSW, um, among many other um, alphabet soup behind his name. And I apologize, Mr. Phillips, for not knowing what the alphabet soup means. But let's start there. Performance-based versus pleasure-based sex. And why does the, why is that important to start there? I'll really just briefly read some of the parts from the article. And 
essentially what he's saying here is, uh, or what they're saying is a critical intervention that they use in the work is helping people focus not from a performance-based sex act, but a pleasure-based. And so what's the difference there? Well, performance-based is really focusing on the penetration component of sex as being the main act, uh, sex ending in orgasm, or that being the conclusion of the sex act. And with that comes some potential for negative connotations, including rigid expectations of your partner's body, your body, and what your body is able to do or not do, feeling like sex is a routine, that there are specific steps involved, but also minimizing your own pain and discomfort within your uh, based on your chronic illness or your health, and it limits your communication with your partner because you're trying to really adhere to a certain performance standard. But then also that does mean that you get stuck in your head. And I think it ties into one of the things that's used a lot in sex therapy is the pleasure focus model versus a goal focus model. And though when we are talking about the chronic illness population, you know, our transplant patients, our LVAD patients, uh, a lot of times the goal focus can be something we utilize to help them uh, through this during their mental blocks. But we have to be mindful of that when we are talking about some day-to-day activities such as physical intimacy, um, kind of the, the positive and the negative of, of that goal focus, solution focus, right? That's another big intervention we're using. And, and so being mindful in that way of having those talks, having those communications, and sometimes it can be taboo. And that's the hardest part is it's, it's one of those areas where are you able to bring it up with your doctor? Are you able to bring it up with your social worker? As social workers, are we bringing it up? Uh, And I think that there's no right or wrong answer necessarily because people have different views and it it can go down a whole nother pathway of your, your own values and morals perhaps. But I think also culture, religion, exactly. But it, if that is important to the patient, I think Mm -hmm. it is important to talk about just like any of those other aspects of it. And so again, normalizing it, letting the patients know it is okay to talk about. I'm not a sex therapist, so I'm not going to necessarily provide interventions in that, but I am going to bring it up with my patients and, and ask about that and the importance of it to them and how it's impacting. Uh, and then if it gets into a too technical of when we talk about what can and can I not do post-transplant, post-implant, I'm going to defer it over to our medical team because I don't want to give mm-hmm. medical advice. Right. Exactly. And, and so that, that is the part of open communication, not only with your partner and, uh, but also with your medical team so that you can openly communicate that you do want to be intimate with your partner. This is something that the two of you mutually desire and agree upon, but what does it look like? And so we will get into that later in the episode, but I really like this component of the pleasure focus model versus the goal focus because pleasure-based sex includes multiple activities and recognizing that sexual intimacy does not exclusively involve penetration and orgasm as being the end goal. It can look like regular check-ins with your partner, using all body parts, arousal being allowed to come before desire, and that no expectations on how one should perform or what performance should look like, but focusing more on the physical sensations, being more physically present within your body 
and not so much in your head. And that helps too with that disconnect and really recognizing that the mind and the body are connected. And if there's any time that we really recognize that, it's when there is sexual intimacy. So orgasm being kind of the cherry on top, no pun intended, but just the bonus, not the goal and not a requirement. And also sex ending when the person wants it to end. And so again, all of these things go back to the ultimate goal of enhancing communication with your partner and then also inadvertently improving communication with your medical team. That there should not be taboo topics because as we talked about in previous episodes, we're treating the person, not the disease. It's a hundred percent. And and I think that even goes into the goal outcome uh, scenario of, you know, what is the goal even for your treatment process. But we look at it, you know, a, a, another article that I found a goal defines an outcome you want to achieve. So I think that's another part of it is when you're going into you know, a, a sexual activity, maybe the goal is not an orgasm. Maybe the goal is to turn on your partner. Maybe the goal is to, can we reach a, a state of arousal without physical touch? So it's that perspective change too of if you're that person that, but I need a goal in mind, or I can't, I can't shift directly from that's supposed to be what the end result is. Maybe you're changing what your goal is for the activity uh, that night. And, and maybe you make it a little more structured of like, all right, Thursday night, my goal is to uh, turn you on, baby, without touching you. And and that helps in those instances where you might be, maybe you're a pre-phase, right? And maybe some of those medications have side effects that you just physically cannot get to a certain uh, level of achievement, men and women, right? And so perhaps it's a way for you to, again, change the perspective. Or maybe you are waiting on a lung transplant and you cannot breathe, <laughs> And that can make sexual activity very difficult. But are there other ways uh, that you're not exerting yourself quite as much? I mean, even our heart failure patients, I mean, all, all end stage organ failure, your energy level, but there's certain kind of layers of that. Um, so the goal is, is the result. That's the area of focus of the path. And so remembering where your, your focus is, what your goal points, and, and again, changing those as necessary. So Tiffany, let's go more, dive more deeply into those safety precautions, because there was quite a few studies that came out about that. And so obviously it's essential to consider safety precautions when engaging in intimate acts after transplant and with an LBAB and also pre, you want to make sure that you are careful in terms of what you're exposed to if you're at any point in your chronic illness process. But one of the things too that i go over with my patients quite often is listen i don't need to know i don't need to know what happens in the bedroom what happens in the bedroom between you and your partner is you and your partner's business the only reason that i need to make sure that i bring up intimacy is one it's a normal part of life it's something that we we need to normalize but also after transplant you are on immunosuppression medication well, okay, Kristen, why does that even matter? Well, I'm so glad you asked, audience. The reason it matters is because when your immune system is suppressed, 
it doesn't only mean that you're going to get a cold or the flu and it's going to be worse for you. It also means that if you engage in high risk such sexual behaviors or you have multiple partners and um, and engage in those high risk sex acts, then you're going to be more susceptible to STDs, STIs, and they're going to be extremely challenging to treat. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as going to a clinic or going to your PCP and getting an antibiotic or some type of basic medication and knocking it out. It could mean hospitalization. Mm-hmm. And and it could be something that exacerbates it in your system if you already have it. And so that's why we talk about it even in the pre-phase of being mindful if you are able to still engage um, to, to be mindful of those high risk and just like any high risk behaviors. So the topic of today is sex, but we really, any high risk behaviors you have to be mindful of after transplant because you are, you have a precious gift that you're trying to protect. And with immunosuppressants comes exactly that, a suppressed immune system. And so it might be something that I, for instance, I'll ask if I have a patient that I know um, had a significant other and then that relationship ended and they're out on the hunt again. Um, that's a poor use of words. They are out and, and looking for connection again. And, you know, to, to be mindful of safe sex, of protection, of protecting yourself. And even with females that are of childbearing age, um, protection against pregnancy, especially with those side effects and pending medications. And I'm, I'm not going to go in there because I know that is a hot topic within the transplant community uh, as a whole. So I'll let your doctors have those conversations in your transplant centers. But there are some risk factors uh, in getting pregnant after a transplant. And that's all I'll say about that. And But it, it's being mindful of those. We want you to live life, but just like with anything, we want you to live life uh, within that C word, compliance and uh, being being just a little bit more vigilant on those. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there was one study that was conducted specifically for LVAD patients because you have a drive line that's coming out of your abdomen and that's going to impact certain, certain sex acts and how you can engage in them it, when you're intimate with your partner. But um, there was also, so the study that was done it showed that the main reason why patients reported having a disturbance in their sexual activity afterwards was problems with the driveline and the batteries, the equipment. It's, it's kind of an obstruction and you may get in the way of intimacy, but also fear of injury, uh, deteriorating health, um, but then also depression, depression and ongoing erectile dysfunction. And so although you have improved blood flow to the rest of the body with an LVAD and, and you were dealing with heart failure before, which involved fluid overload, poor perfusion, and could uh, eventually mean erectile dysfunction, that, that also doesn't necessarily mean that the minute you get an LVAD that it's going to rectify or remedy some of those, some of those side effects. And erectile dysfunction can certainly be a concern. Well, and that goes back to some of the medications that you're on after as well. Some of those medif- mm-hmm. medications can cause a reduced libido, uh, men and women. And so, and that can be um, disheartening, pun intended, uh, not intended at the same time. But it is something that we 
have to consider and, and realizing that it is one of those side effects we talk about, just like the hand tremors are side effect and just like the mood swings are side effect. It, it's the potential for a reduced libido system. And maybe that changes over time. Maybe it's something that, again, we have to relook into perspective or perhaps some counseling of is there ways that we can help overcome that barrier. But mm-hmm. it's it's going back to having those conversations um, and to take it a step further too, you know, you mentioned this briefly, Kristen, but also looking at when you are an LVAD patient, how does it actually work, right? Mm-hmm. With your batteries, with your controller and positioning and, and being mindful that you're not uh, getting your batteries disconnected, that you're not, it's not in the way of, of anything <laughs> really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how to maybe again, change different styles that you're used to. And perhaps your favorite position is maybe you got to look for a new favorite based on positioning of where you're going to put that hardware. Mm-hmm. And listen, let's just clear the air right now. We are trying very hard to be adults. We are trying very hard, but this is an episode about sex and we are, we absolutely are going to have so many puns. So as the audience, I give you full permission to basically just. That's what she said. Yeah. Just go ahead and say that after every sentence and let's just get that out of the way now. (laughs) We are, we are truly professionals. We can get up there and we can present with the best of them, but we are human beings and this is a fun and safe space as well. And that's the thing is sex can be fun. Uh, We just have to do it properly. And I think you were going to say something, Kristen, um, before I started (laughs) laughing a little bit at my joke. (laughs) Your hardware joke? Yes. Um, Yeah. No, uh, but the study that I was just mentioning had a really good conclusion. It said when properly screened and treated, most patients with with supported from an LVAD can safely engage in sexual activity. Although future research seems necessary to develop a better understanding, it says professional interventions might facilitate individual coping styles. And so sexual, and it was talking about sexual adjustment in the long term, but it's part of coping and and that is, and it's part of coping, but it's also part of quality of life. And we're doing, we could potentially be doing a disservice to our patient population if we avoid this topic. You know, Kristen, you bring up a a good point there. I actually had a patient um, that sex was coping for for this individual. And unfortunately, during the pre-phase, that that was more difficult to do. Um, There was still attempts. There was still uh, happenings, but it was not as frequent and as often. And uh, it being part of coping, we really had to have a conversation about what are some other coping strategies, just like... any other coping strategies that may not work while you're going through this process? For instance, if you're in the hospital and your coping strategy is going for a walk in nature and you no longer can, how are we going to adapt and think of uh, additional healthy coping styles if sex was your coping? Mm-hmm. Uh, this individual was uh, able to receive their life-saving organ and they were cleared to return to sexual intimacy and sexual acts. But the conversation I then had to have, because this individual had not been keeping up with it as much as they wanted to, was, is their partner okay with it? You know, just because the patient now 
is ready and and able and willing, we also have to protect all, right? And our caregivers are such an important piece. And if that caregiver perhaps was the caregiver for the transplant, it may change and there may be some some struggles in, in going from that caregiver role back to that intimate role. That's something I always mm-hmm. talk about too in the post phase when I see patients is, you know, how is that going for you? Have you been able to get back to an intimate? And, and again, intimate is not just sexual acts. Intimacy as a whole of that relationship of being the caregiver, the caregivee, the I'm carrying all your belongings. I'm taking your, making sure your pills are appropriate. I'm helping, helping you stand up if necessary to then now back to that uh, intimate relationship, that partner relationship uh, and what that looks like and making sure Yes, it is so exciting that the patient is able and and has the energy and all of this, but is their partner okay and able to keep up? Because um, it's tiring. It's even if you're not the caregiver and you're just, you're. I almost said it. I almost said just the support system, but the support system is just as important. So take See the just take the just <laughs> out of it. But the support system, it's tiring. That that worry, that emotional exhaustion, and so making sure you have those conversations that you're both on the same page with it too and not not saying okay fine let's do it literally uh because you feel obligated right and so i think Mm -hmm. that's another emotional component of it it's not a box to check Mm -hmm. exactly and i'm glad that you brought up the coping component of sex because We all have a healthy dose of uh, functional coping mechanisms and dysfunctional coping mechanisms, comfortable versus uncomfortable. Um, And we talk about alcohol use disorder or alcohol misuse, drugs and substance misuse. That would be an example of a maladaptive coping mechanism. And one that doesn't necessarily improve your health, improve your quality of life or your future self. But there's also sex addiction because at the end of the day, sex is something that releases endorphins. It releases dopamine. It is going to make you feel pleasure and experience pleasure. And that there can be an addictive component to that, especially if you've had to sacrifice a lot of your other addictions for the sake of your health. One thing that I say a lot is the universe hates negative space. The universe is going, if the universe senses that there is negative space, it is going to fill it with something. But the way that you can help control what is being filled in that negative space is by taking a look at what you choose to fill it with and by being consciously aware of that. So an example of that is if you're told you can't smoke pot anymore, you can't drink alcohol, but then there's nothing that you or your team have done to put in its place, like a healthy version of that or a more appropriate version of that, then the you may be drawn more towards an addictive component to that and sex can be that. So a case in point, Um, there was a patient that, um, I worked with many years ago that was, that stopped all substances, was free and clear, very compliant, but, um, became a sex addict. 
and that impacted this individual's well-being in the long run because of the exposure to STDs and the high-risk behavior that he then ultimately engaged in. Thinking about how that can impact, uh, especially as we're going through mood changes, you know, we are on these anti-rejection medications or these high levels of prednisone, and it can certainly impact uh, impulsivity, uh, anger, uh, sexual drive, things of that nature. And Mm -hmm. if you have that history of perhaps an addiction, you've been in remission from it, but does that come back out? Okay, I'm not getting it from my partner because, you know, they're doing all the caregiver things. And so they're just not seeing me in that light. Is that causing you to potentially seek it elsewhere? Mm-hmm. And so again, having those conversations and and what is it that's going to help prevent you from from perhaps doing that? Um, and or if you have if you have protective factors in place. So for instance, if you you were uh, had an addiction, a sex addiction, and then it was a decision made between you and your partner that perhaps you don't get to have your phone if they're not present, what does that mean if you're in the hospital? Or you're waiting for a transplant offer. What does that mean if your institution refers you to use the patient portal and you access that through your phone or through your computer, but perhaps you're not able to have your computer for either decisions made between you and your partner or perhaps even legal decisions? Because it goes back to, we've talked about, uh, and we'll probably do an episode someday, futuristic, about the legality and is that a complete contraindication if you have legal issues? And it may or may not be. And if it's not, and we can get you to the help and support you need, but there are things we have to, to consider. Perhaps it's an ankle bracelet in some cases. That's a whole other topic, but it could be that you are not allowed to, to utilize technology. So what does that mean for being able to have the appropriate access to your healthcare and having mm-hmm. those conversations even. And that's why social workers bring up questions like that. It's not to rule you out. It's not to say, oh, you got you got this. We're not going to let you go forward. It is to how are we going to adapt? Okay, we're not going to use portal. We're not going to use computer uh, screenings. We're, we're not going to be able to do teleconferences, perhaps. The, and just kind of changing those and being able to speak to it as a team. But also what resources you're, you may be disqualified from because of a criminal history involving sexual acts or uh, sexual violence. And so it's not to stigmatize your past. It's not to stigmatize what um, you paid your dues to society or your debts to society. It's to see what resources now are no longer in your, in your accessibility. Uh, so, but... I know we kind of got a little off topic there, and that is more going into the legal history of things, but to redirect back to more the sex intimacy component with chronic illness, that's it's so important to normalize sex and intimacy because when treating chronic illness, some people can feel broken. And so if you think about it, it's a loss of identity. And we talk about that often with our patients, that there's the person they once were and the person they are now. I mean, Tiffany, you mentioned that earlier in terms of having that role shift and the, even the caregiver experiencing that the caregiver is the caregiver and they mm-hmm. put their role of wife or husband or significant other 
on hold to take care of this person, that's an identity loss as well. So both for the patient and the caregiver. And so normalizing those conversations is extremely important, but especially in a non-judgmental open setting. And this was actually supported by one of the, uh, by another study. There were three themes that emerged from data that was studied in terms of sexual relations with LVADs in uh, particular, but sexual adjustment and non-sexual intimacy, going back to that performance versus pleasure. And although participants reported that LVAD improved their overall health and sexual functioning also improved, What's interesting is that there was a reported increased sense of connectedness and intimacy with their partners, even in the absence of sexual intercourse. So the data actually proves that performance-based, that performance-based and shifting from that to pleasure-based is actually beneficial from a mental health component. I agree, because it goes back into the mental stimulation, right? Um, honestly, and Mental stimulation can help. I, I see the smirk. It can help into stimulation as a whole, right? And it, and it also is thinking about sometimes you may have to be comfortable in your own skin before you're comfortable with your partner. And perhaps that means some self-pleasure. It means getting to know your new body with these new organs, right? And again, that might be not something that you do, culture, religion, all of those things. Our goal is not to say, hey, this is what you should do. This is what you need to do. Anything of that, again, it goes back to normalizing it. Just like some some patients, their faith is very important. And so that's what they want to bring up and talk about during their session. Some people don't talk about faith because, you know, keeping it separate. But I think it goes back to go where the where the patient goes. Start where the patient is, right? As a social worker, that's so important. And therefore normalizing it, talking about it, because if you don't talk about it, then it makes them think they can't talk about it. Right. And so if you bring it up, it might be something that's been on their mind for quite some time. And they just didn't know that this was, it was a safe space to bring it up. So yes. And I'm actually going to go a little off topic. Well, not really, but I'm going to go off topic just a little bit because, and I'm speaking specifically to our healthcare team as well. When when we're saying that we need to normalize the conversation, that does not mean put yourself in an uncomfortable position. Mm -hmm. That does not mean, oh my gosh, this is my job to talk about sex, but that is not something that I am comfortable with. That is not something that I was raised to discuss. Uh, my religious or uh, cultural values really Im Im impact my ability to have that type of a conversation. So there's also such a thing as healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. And if you have a patient who is trying to talk about sexual intimacy with you and it does not feel comfortable, you have the right and the ability to say, I am not comfortable with this conversation. I'm not the right person to talk to about that. This is not an appropriate setting for this. I hear you. Intimacy is important. I'm not the right person to have this conversation with you. Because there is such a thing as blasting inappropriate sexual material to the healthcare team and us feeling the pressure to try and have that conversation to normalize it, but then it ultimately becomes uncomfortable for everybody. And so just like with anything sexual, everyone has the right to say no. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that up. 
I'm so glad you did. And I think it's, it's about finding a resource for them. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that goes into even talking about how to, how do you provide education and resources with that? Right. And sometimes it's refer out. It's part of the social work 101, but also healthcare as a whole. I always say, I'm going to use it again. A doctor can deliver a baby. They are a medical professional, right? But I don't necessarily want my cardiologist to deliver my baby. I want my OBGYN. I want them to deliver it. That's we have the birthing plan. That's their expertise. That's what they do on a day-to-day basis, right? And mm-hmm. so it's the same thing here. We're not saying that you have to go and provide all the sex education. If that is not sex education, women's health, men's health, those things, that's not necess- that's not our specialty as a transplant team, right? But it's about mm-hmm. referring to the appropriate specialty. So even as social workers, it might be referring to a sex therapist. It might be telling people there even is sex therapy that exists. And sex mm-hmm. therapy isn't just someone that likes sex and can talk about it. They go through specific training to become a certified sex therapist because mm-hmm. there's so many layers in the emotional, as we said in the beginning, the emotional, the physical, the the overall well-being and the view of it. So yes, Kristen, no means no, but also refer out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And because I can, I have had many situations where I've had coworkers come to me and say, oh my gosh, I'm so uncomfortable. I just had the most uncomfortable conversation with the patient. What happened? They started talking in graphic detail about their intimacy with their partner. And, and then they started to get angry because they wanted to graphically explain the, the, either the erectile dysfunction or the loss of libido and and it was so uncomfortable and and then it ended up monopolizing my time and so i wasn't able to actually have a conversation with them about how their heart is doing how their lvet's doing how their kidney's doing Uh, so i asked okay well can we establish a boundary around that the appointment is truly for the organ function at hand whether it be heart kidney whatever sex is a part of that but it shouldn't take the entire conversation and nor should you be subjected to extremely graphic details of the patient's intimate acts. And so that also goes into establishing boundaries as a provider and then referring out. But overall, the bottom line is, is, recognizing that as social workers, we have the skill set to weed through what the patient is saying and try and translating what the patient's actual message is. Is it I'm struggling to cope? Am I struggling to communicate? Am I, um, am I angry? Am I in a certain position and grieving? Am I traumatized? Am I triggered? Those are, even though the words are, I can't have sex or whatever the actual words are, that's what we're looking at there. Those are the questions we're asking. And that's how we decide what emotional support we can or can't provide, what we can normalize, what's within our professional, cultural, spiritual limitations to talk about just as a person and as a professional and whether or not the setting is appropriate. And that goes into the entire overarching theme of communication is key and a non-judgmental space is key. I think that's a good place for us to close this episode out. I agree. I I really like the way that you wrapped it up. And I think that 
there's a lot of takeaways here for patients, transplant, and LVAD, and and professionals. And when we consider our own needs, we consider our own boundaries, and I love it. These are the things awesome. we got to talk about, right? This is this is real life, so we're here for it. Let's talk about sex, baby. Mm. Let's talk about you and mm. me. Let's Get talk it. about I Get don't it. know Get the it. rest of the song because I don't know it. <laughs> uh, I, I you, I'm so disappointed right now. You I'm should so be disappointed. Um, I can't wait to send this episode to my grandmother. <laughs> all right. So to all the total strangers out there listening to us talk about sex, have a wonderful rest of your day. And remember, you are a person. You are a good person at heart, whether you're a social worker, a chronically ill individual, a patient, a provider, you are good. And I think we all need to be reminded of that. A hundred percent. hundred percent. I appreciate y'all. Please give us a, a like, subscribe, review. We'd appreciate that. Uh, tell us what you want to talk about. Tell us about those things that you feel uncomfortable talking about or that you're, you're not sure how to even start the conversation. Let's bring it up here. Let's all talk together in this intimate setting with, uh, you know, some of our closest stranger friends. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. The information shared on this podcast comes from two certified clinical transplant and mechanical circulatory support social workers. The views and opinions expressed are our own and not affiliated with any specific institution or organization, but to the community of transplant and MCS social work at large. Beats by Social Work, Tiffany and Kristen and affiliated guests and programs expressly disclaim any responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of your reliance on the information contained in this podcast or in any media. And none of the persons and entities noted above endorse specifically any tests, treatment, or procedures mentioned on the show. Our goal is to provide you with the most accurate information in the most respectful way. However, we are human and we ask for grace and accountability. If we say something you feel is incorrect or inappropriate, please tell us so we can correct ourselves and work to be better. Do not ignore inaccuracies or hold your feelings in. The only way to learn and ensure we do not make the same mistakes twice is to be made aware. That being said, our goal is to share information and to connect with our audience. But this is a new concept and we may fall short at times. So please be patient and respectful when you do call us out.